Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, I married his daughter, Kristen. So I'm part of the family now. So that's my connection with this church. So I first want to share with you, like, who is rich? Who am I? You guys see me around. Maybe you don't really know who I am. What do I do? I want to just spend real quickly just explaining a little bit about that, and then we'll jump into the sermon. So who am I? Well, here's a photo of me when I got saved when I was 18 years old, a senior in high school. And I, like Arnold just said, I've been serving in a ministry called National School Project for the last six-plus years full-time. And I serve as a California director. But for me, uh, I once heard in a small gathering of, of ministers, and one of the pastors said that sometimes, I won't say all the time, but sometimes our greatest ministries come out of our greatest pains. And for me, high school was an incredibly painful and dark time. There was a time where right before I went into high school, I lost my mom. She went to be with the Lord in eighth grade as she passed away with breast cancer. I was just utterly just lost in brokenness and sin, got arrested by an undercover cop by the age of 16. But high school was also an incredibly bright time for me where God got a hold of my life and radically changed my life, where I came to know Jesus Christ my senior year of high school. I had weird hair and a little goatee thing, and I got baptized. I said, Dad, brother, I'm getting baptized. Want to come? They're like, nah. I'm like, all right, I'm getting baptized. And I went, and I got baptized, and I've been following Jesus Christ ever since. So now I've been serving with this ministry called National School Project for the last six-plus years, like I said, and our mission field is the public high schools and actually even middle schools. It's really, really amazing. And the reason why we exist is there's a huge need in our public schools. Uh, we, we, we know that students actually don't even know John 3.16. Actually, I don't know if you guys knew this, but between 75 to 84% of people in America who put their faith in Christ do so before the age of 18. So it's all high school, middle school, elementary school. That is such a ripe age in a wonderful mission field. And we also know that many people who grow up in the church, right, when they go to college, many of them begin to walk away from their faith. So high school is really, really critical. Uh, also, some other reasons that we exist. Uh, violence and depression. I don't know if you knew this, but two of the top three leading causes of death among high school students is homicide and suicide. Uh, studies suggest a staggering 1.1 million high school students reported attempting suicide just last year. So not only students are killing each other, they're killing themselves. We know how dark it is. The headlines are all over the place all the time. But we, sometimes we can get, oh man, this is just another one of those. But, but no, people are literally dying, and many of them who don't know the Lord. This number used to be 5.5 billion. It's 6.5 billion that's being spent on drug and alcohol among our young people. That's crazy. And you can even see some of the stats here on just the promiscuity as well. So what we do is that we actually... As a result of this, we want to share the good news of Jesus Christ through large evangelistic outreaches, outreaches and also through personal evangelism. That was a picture out of a school out in Tucson, Arizona that we coached last year. So we do large events during lunchtime. So we actually leverage, we challenge the students to leverage the legal rights that they have right now in America to give as many students an opportunity to hear the gospel before they graduate. I took this photo. I was coaching some Chinese students who were the leaders at Rosemead High School, not too far away from here. And look at this. It was like two, 300 students packed in the gym during lunchtime. Uh, we trained students on how to share their testimony and how to do personal witnessing. And also, because of the First Amendment, they can actually pass out Bibles and tracts and gospel Christian literature on campus freely. It's amazing what these students can do. Uh, this is my team, immediate team of full-time staff on my campus ministry team, amazing young uh, men and women. 
And then this is our entire California team of volunteers, college students, part-time staff, and my full-time staff. So just last year, we actually coached a total of 55 schools. We saw nearly 160 outreach events, and we saw high school and middle school students go out to go witnessing about 100 times. This is a student who is going to a school in San Jose. It's during lunchtime, and he's sharing his testimony in the gym, in the Bay Area. We're coaching a number of, school, of schools in the Bay Area. It's really exciting. This is a, a picture I took of a school in kind of the La Puente area, and this was amazing. Uh, they, the club leader, Jordan, he, he said, he said, you know, a lot of my friends will say, hey, just kill me now, or I just want to kill myself. And he, he says, they'll just say it jokingly. They'll just say they're joking around because I got a bad grade or I got a bad teacher. But he said it's still like the common vernacular of his age group. And he says it's still reflective of their very state of mind. So they decided to do an outreach around the theme of mental health. And I went there before the bell rang, and this whole media room was filled with like 80 students. It's like they didn't have to do promo. They were just eager to listen. And one of the high school students shared, one of our Biola College students shared about their struggles with mental health and how Christ intersected in their life in the midst of that struggle. And you could hear a pin drop. And the response was so overwhelmingly positive that what happened was that during the month of March, during the week of Easter, they had more days of outreach to reach even more students. This is the last uh, photo I'll just show you. This is a school that we coached last year in the Inland Empire. And 500 students ended up hearing the gospel over a span of a couple days, where students, 100 students made decisions for Christ. And even the Christian students who were putting this on were challenged to be more vocal with their faith because they had doubts. They really did. But they started seeing some of their friends come down. Some of their friends raise their hand to respond to receive Christ. And they're like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize how receptive my peers were on this campus. And so this is what I've been doing over this past six years. Um, that's a little bit about who I am. And uh, let me pray for us as we dive into God's word. So pray with me. Father, thank you for this wonderful morning. God, thank you for this church. God, thank you for your people. And God, thank you for your spirit and your son. God, I pray that you would speak mightily through your word and that you would convict, that you would teach, that you would illuminate, that you would do what only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome. So the title of today's message is Faithful in All You Have Been Entrusted. Uh, does anyone know here how much feathers sell for? This Huia bird feather sold for a whopping $10,000. What? $10,000? Are you serious? Why? Well, it's considered the most valuable feather on planet Earth. And it's so expensive because it's so rare. Well, do you know what else is really ex uh, uh, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, do you know how much a parking spot like this goes for in Manhattan, New York? One million dollars is so valuable because it's so rare. It's so congested over there, right? Now, how about this? This is just for fun, right? How about this crystal piano that was used in the Beijing Olympics in 2008? It actually was sold, auctioned off or something for 3.2 million dollars USD. Wow, because it's one of a kind. It's rare, right? Wow, that's so incredible. Well, today, from God's word, uh, we're going to learn how we are to be the kind of person that this world finds rare. And that is a faithful man of God or a faithful woman of God 
And more than that, a person that God is looking for. Specifically, a person that God can trust. A person who, has been, who can be faithful with all they have been entrusted by God into their care. So turn with me to Luke chapter 16, and we'll see how Jesus, through using a parable, instructs his disciples regarding the incredible opportunity they have to be faithful stewards of all that God has entrusted into their care. So, Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 1. He also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am, I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from manage, management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. And the master, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails you, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Let's stop right there. What in the world is going on here? <laughs> this is such a weird passage, right? So a rich man entrusts another man to be a manager of his possessions, but when he finds out that the manager is wasting his possessions, he says, you're fired. You're fired. But first, this manager, there's kind of a, a, a little window of time. He has to turn in uh, the accounts of his management. So the manager, he knows he's losing his job. The time is ticking. So he's beginning to think, how can I prepare for my future? And he first considers two very unattractive options, digging and begging, right? In verse 3, I'm, no, I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm too ashamed to beg. So instead, he's like, oh, I need another plan, right? So instead, this is what he decides to do. He decides to cut his master's debtors by 50% and by 20% in order to get on their good side and become friends with them because just maybe, just maybe, they would invite them into their homes and maybe give him a job, right? He's thinking about how to prepare for the future. Now, one little comment about parables is that you can't take them literally. They're just really something that, that Jesus is trying to use as a hook to get people to really get the main point of what he's trying to teach. And in verse 8, there's kind of a twist in this parable. We find it in verse 8, it's also still up on the screen, it says, the master commended the dishonest manager, we read in the, the New American uh, Standard, the unrighteous manager, for his shrewdness. Stop right there. This might be really confusing at first, but Jesus is not commending the character of this manager. He's not commending the dishonesty or unrighteousness of this manager. No, he's commending the action of this manager, the shrewdness of this manager. Meaning people in this world are dealing strategically with each other in order to make some kind of gain for themselves in this world, making and striking financial deals with one another because they're thinking about how to better their life right now and also how to better their life in the immediate future. Now, thinking about how to better your life right now in the immediate future, that's not bad. That's not a bad thing. Don't get me wrong, that's not a bad thing. But what Jesus is doing is that he's teaching his disciples to take the stewardship of their resources further than just the here and now, further than just the immediate future. 
He wants them to see the faithful stewardship of all their resources in the here and now and in the immediate future in light of eternity. He wants to blow open their perspective. So in verse 9, he says, it's still up there, he says, I tell you, disciples, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, meaning your worldly resources, so that when it fails, meaning, hey, it's not going to last forever, meaning you can't take it with you, meaning it's going to come to an end one day, that they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. And really, we know that it's not people who are really welcoming us. It's God who is welcoming us into heaven. It's that God would welcome you into his presence. So something that also, there's a lot of clarifications that need to be happening in this passage. Another thing that needs to be clarified is that it's not that our faithful stewardship of resources brings about eternal life. No, that's not what this is teaching. That would be salvation by works. And we don't teach that. We don't preach that. That's not what the Bible teaches. But what Jesus is getting about, getting at, is he's helping his disciples to think about their current possessions in light of eternity. That there is a connection between how you use your worldly resources right now and how that impacts the kingdom of God for eternity. Now, in a room this big with this many people, uh, there are many of you, I'm sure, I know, that are intentionally, strategically stewarding your worldly resources, your money, your time, your influence in light of eternity. Awesome. Good job. Keep going. Keep going, right? But at the same time, in a room this big, there could be some of you that are maybe not faithfully steward stewarding your worldly possessions and resources in light of eternity. And like the dishonest manager, you might be wasting your master's possessions with this limited time that you have. And then you might be found unfaithful. Which brings me to this question, what do you do? What do you do? How can you be faithful then with all of the material and immaterial resources that God has entrusted into your care? If you're taking notes, the first point is this. It's in your bulletin. Be faithful, and the blank there in the bulletin is very little. Very little first. Be faithful with very little first. Let's pick it up back in verse 10. Verse 10 reads this. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. This stuff right here. Jesus is giving a direct kingdom principle here. He's saying if you can be trusted to handle with very little responsibilities, you could be trusted to handle bigger ones in the future. And the opposite is true too. If you are unfaithful with the very little, then you will be unfaithful with much. What I want to do, which, which was fascinating to me as I was studying this, is I really want to emphasize this, this word, these two words, very little here in this verse. See, the words very little is a superlative of the Greek word mikros, which is where we get the, the English word micro. See, God isn't looking for your big faithfulness first. He's actually looking for your, your faithfulness at the micro level. Because if you're faithful at the, with the micro things, then you'll be faithful with the mega things. And the cool thing is, is that your faithfulness doesn't have to start out like this on a large scale. No, your faithfulness actually starts like this on a very small scale. Small things matter to God. It doesn't take first faithfulness over a massive project or a massive assignment to then be entrusted with more. No, it looks like stewarding $1 here, $1 there, one minute here, one minute there, one text message here, one text message there, one phone call here. One phone call there, 
one email here, one email there, being faithful with the very little, not even just little, very little. So I just want to throw out a question to you to think about real quick. What's one very small thing that God is calling you to step out in obedience and do, maybe even today? What's something the Holy Spirit is prompting? It's so small, but you're just like, wait, what's that thing? What's that very little thing? Because a small obedience here and a small obedience there collectively leads to an entire lifetime of obedience before our living God. Amen? Amen. And that's such good news. Because Jesus doesn't make entering into a life of faithfulness like a hundred-foot gate that you have to climb and crawl and jump over and make it super hard. No. Instead, he makes it so easy to get started in a life of faithfulness by simply, hey, just put one foot in front of the other. Just put one foot in front of the other. Because if you're faithful in little, then you will be faithful in much. You know, I find this to be true on a human level. Like I said, I'm a, I'm a director of uh, our ministry in the state of California. So I have full-time staff uh, who are serving together with me. And I was wondering if my coworker, John, was going to be someone I could promote to a directorship role, to oversee an entire area of ministry. And after seeing him be faithful over and over again with the responsibilities that I had given to him, I was so eager to promote John, my, my, my coworker, John, and entrust him with more. I was delighted to do so. I was actually really genuinely eager and excited to give him more. And how much more with the Lord? The Lord actually wants to give us more. Now, as we continue on in our passage, there's something interesting going on here. Because if you read the passages before this, uh, you'll notice that actually Jesus, in our passage, he's teaching his disciples, but he's also simultaneously rebuking the Pharisees with this parable about the stewardship of money. See, the Pharisees, they failed to steward money for the sake of the kingdom of God, and instead they exalted it above obedience to God. I don't have it on the slides, but you can just listen. But if you're looking in your Bible, we'll jump down to verse 13 to 15. And Jesus says this. He says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. And the Pharisees, who are lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him, or they scoffed at him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men. But God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Stop right there. Jesus is giving the disciples a fresh opportunity to do the exact opposite than what the Pharisees were doing with their resources, right? Not to invest in rare bird feathers or a million dollar Manhattan parking spot or crystal piano that was used in the Olympics, right? No, they were strategically to invest money in making a kingdom impact now and build trust with God for greater and future responsibility. See, Jesus, what he's doing, he's revealing a direct connection between our present stewardship of worldly goods and God's future decision to entrust them with another kind of good. Author Randy Alcorn, he writes... In regards to this passage, he says, quote, There is a direct connection between our faithful use of money here and now and the true riches God will put us over in his future kingdom, end quote. So my charge to the church today is so be faithful to leverage all you've been given from God by being faithful with a very little first. So you may think that your small act of obedience carries the weight of a feather, 
right? It's insignificant. It doesn't mean anything. But I want to challenge you, don't be fooled. Because your small act of obedience actually makes an extremely huge and valuable impact for all of eternity. So make an eternal impact with your current possessions, your current position, your current authority. Make an eternal impact by faithfully tithing to your church week after week. Make an eternal impact by leveraging your influence to point others to Christ. Maybe through the credibility and popularity that you have in your community, your workplace, in your personal networks. Leverage that because that's not going to last forever. All these contributions through your present faithfulness actually matters for eternity. So don't hoard what God has entrusted to you. Use what God has entrusted to you. Because we can't hold on to our possessions forever, but we can make them count for eternity if we use them well. Now, if entering a life of faithfulness at the micro level seems easy, then what makes faithfulness hard? Because we all know there's hard times. We know there's challenging times. We first have to remember that all of us were actually found unfaithful because all of us were born into sin. This goes all the way back to the garden. It's the fruit of sin, this unfaithfulness. It's the atom that's been woven into all of our nature. And it's not so much Satan, and it's not so much this world that's causing our unfaithfulness as it is our own flesh. In our culture today, I believe there are two big temptations that can really rattle, but more than that, really stifle and kill our faithful stewardship of the resources God has entrusted to us and instead lead us to unfaithful stewardship. And the first one of these temptations, the first of these two, is pride. Is pride. See, we live in a culture. We live in cities. We live surrounded by people that are highly motivated, highly gifted, highly capable, especially here in the South Bay, in the Torrance area, in Southern California, the beach cities. And for that reason, in our pride, we take on way more than we can handle. Yeah, I'll be the first to confess this. <laughs> they know. They see me, right? And in many ways, we have to hustle here in Southern California to make it, so to speak, right? And so we take on way more than we can actually be faithful with. Our plates are way too full. We're so busy building our own kingdoms that we have little room to think about building the kingdom of God. And the problem for you and me is that we don't start with being faithful with very little, right? We start trying to be faithful with a lot, right? And we try to grab all these little things, which I like to call these little things, commitment here, a commitment there, a responsibility here. And we, we grab all these pebbles because we say yes to this and we say yes to that. We grab so many little things, these little pebbles, and we collected so many of them. Now they begin to feel the weight of a heavy boulder. And each of these little things, these pebbles are blessings. But now they just feel like a burden, right? That just feels like a burden. Your pride keeps you from being faithful with little but because you're trying to be faithful with much. Now, this doesn't mean that God does not give us things that feel heavy and big in some, some seasons. Like when God called Moses to lead 600,000 men, including women and children, 3.2 million people probably, out of Egypt, that was pretty big. That was heavy. When God called Israel to take on armies that far outnumbered them, that was big. That was heavy. In those instances, this was an invitation from God to trust in God for something that seemed impossible. But what I'm talking about here, what this passage is talking about, is something I see too, far co too common with our college students that we work with, filling up their plates with far too much. But it's also something that I see 
that's also just a general thing among people in the church today, especially where we're from, and even with us here today in this church, perhaps as well. That in pride, you are neglecting or unable to take time to consider how you might steward your possessions and your worldly resources for eternity. So I think that's the first temptation is this pride. Secondly, there are some of you here who are also highly gifted, highly capable, right? But it's not pride, but it's the second temptation, which is slothfulness that can hinder your faithfulness. Actually, you're the kind of person that can be faithful. You know how to be faithful. You know how to rely on God's strength. But you tend to skirt by with the minimum. I don't know if I'm speaking to anybody right now. You could probably pick up a few more pebbles. You could probably commit yourself to a few more things, but you choose not to. You're faithful with little, but you avoid being faithful with much. Why? I don't know. Maybe it might require a change to your lifestyle. I don't know. I could, I could think of a lot of different things, but I don't know what it is for you. Movies, Netflix, video games. I don't know what it is for you. Whatever it is, right? Those things aren't bad, right? But perhaps you and I are giving more consideration to those things rather than thinking about how can I steward my time, my talents, my resources for eternity. See, for some of us, it's pride that leads us, leads, leads us to drop the ball because it's so heavy. Things start falling through the cracks. And for others, it's slothfulness that leads that prevents us from even picking up the ball in the first place. And both pride and both sloth will lead us to the same place, unfaithfulness. So those are the two temptations. But you know what? It's not just sin or internal vices like pride and slothfulness that leads us to unfaithful stewardship. It's also external circumstances, things that we have no control over that can try to really rattle and shake our faithfulness, stifle and kill, perhaps, our faithfulness to God. See, when times are good, when things are rolling, hey, faithfulness with the little things, hey, that seems easy. Hey, when motivation is high, hey, it's easy to be faithful. Hey, when you know how to do your job, hey, faithfulness is easy. Hey, when you're in a community and you're surrounded by a family of encouraging people all the time, hey, faithfulness seems to come easy when your workload your school load, your household, all seem manageable. Hey, faithfulness seems really easy. But we all know that there are challenging times in life, things that just smack us, and we don't, where did that come from, right? A circumstance, something we could not plan for, something that's totally out of our control, seasons that really challenge our faithfulness, things that make faithfulness hard. So I want to ask this question. How can you still be faithful in challenging times. And perhaps you're sitting there and you're like, man, I, I think I have been unfaithful. And if you've been unfaithful, how do you go back to being faithful again? The short answer is this, you can't. You can't in your own strength. See, you can't go back and undo what's been left undone. That particular time, it's gone, it's past. You and I are not strong enough and powerful enough to reverse time and go back and undo and erase all of our mistakes. You and I are not big enough to cover our past. You and I are not God. And you and I don't have unlimited resources or unlimited reservoir of strength to draw from within ourselves. You and I are limited. And so we can't find our faithfulness as coming from our own strength. And here's the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, the only way you can be faithful again is through the forgiveness that God brings through Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. The forgiveness of Jesus Christ that is deep enough, 
and wide enough to forgive us of all of our iniquities, to forgive us of all of our shortcomings, all of your past, even if it was yesterday, even if it was a year ago. The way you can be faithful in challenging times, the way that you can be faithful after you've been an unfaithful steward is point number two, is be faithful through Christ's strength. Be faithful through Christ's strength. See, the good news is that your faithfulness and my faithfulness is not based on you. It's not based on me. Your faithfulness is based in Christ's power and his strength, not your own. That's good news for us. Because you and I, we don't have to hold this world together. God does. This is good news because you and I, we don't have to do everything perfectly. Only God does. And that's such good news for us, for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. In Christ, who didn't walk in pride, but Christ who humbled himself. Right? Philippians chapter 2 talks about, it says, Paul says, even though Christ being God himself in human flesh, he did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. In Christ who not didn't walk in pride, but humbled himself. In Christ who did not walk in sloth, but set his face towards obedience. Christ who wasn't kicking back, chilling in heaven on the throne. No, Jesus who came down. Jesus who engaged. Jesus who was obedient. He stepped into our brokenness. He stepped into our messiness. He stepped into our unfaithfulness in Christ. In Christ, who didn't throw in the towel and say, Father, be me back into heaven. When he started to hear the Jews cry out, crucify him. Oh, this is too hard. I'm throwing in the towel. Take me back. No. Jesus, who was perfectly faithful to the mission that God the Father had entrusted to him, to lay his life down as the perfect sacrifice for our sins, only to not lay his life down, but to raise it back up in three days, conquering the grave. Praise God. Hallelujah. And so now, we do not worship the prideful one. We do not worship the slothful one. No, we worship the faithful one. That's why we're here today. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, if we are faithless, hey, good news. He remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. That's what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. And the faithful one, Jesus Christ, he's the one who forgives you of all your unfaithfulness. Christ is the one who leads you in his kindness towards repentance to turn you from your pride, to turn you from your sloth, and to begin look, looking upward for your strength. Not inward when times are challenging, but upward for your strength. And praise God. Because it is through Christ, when we've been unfaithful, he forgives us, then he restores us, and then he sends us back out to be faithful stewards of all that God has entrusted into our care. That is such good news. That is great news. And it is God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that leads every person to place our faith in the faithful one, Jesus Christ, and to follow in his faithful ways. And that way is through Christ. And that way of Christ is really the way of the cross. I was really challenged and confronted when I was preparing this message because I was realizing that there is a connection between faithfulness and the cross. In other words, a connection between faithfulness and suffering, meaning your faithfulness in being a faithful, faithful steward of all that God has entrusted into your care does not guarantee you always feeling good. In fact, faithfulness could actually leave you in a deep place of pain. What? Yeah. Oh, we see faithfulness in pain 
but Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel was faithful even if it costed him his life. That was a challenging time for Daniel, but Daniel would not bow down to anyone except God and God alone. We see this with Jesus who was faithful and it did cost him his life. And for us as Christ's followers, there is a cross we are all called to carry, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross daily, and to follow me, Jesus said. In other words, you must anticipate pain. As a believer, you must anticipate discomfort. You must anticipate even suffering in your doing good, suffering in your faithfulness. There is no promise in the Bible that when you are faithful, all your pain goes away. Hey, when you're faithful, all your disease goes away. Hey, when you're faithful, all your circumstances disappear. No, that's not the gospel. That's not what Jesus teaches. Which leads me as we wrap up to my third and last point. Be faithful even when it hurts. Be faithful even when it hurts. See, the Pharisees were unwilling to pay the price of laying down their religious position and authority and even the comfort that they had through the financial resources they had access to within the Jewish community and even in the Roman government. So whenever they were challenged by Jesus regarding their position, authority, or love for money, as we see in this passage, instead of repenting and amending their ways, they scoffed at Jesus. They ridiculed Jesus. Oh, they missed out on a great blessing. They missed out on a great blessing. In contrast, King David, going to the Old Testament, knew a great secret. He knew that the blessed man is the man who is, or woman who is faithful even when it hurts. So in Psalm 15 verse 1, he poses a question. In Psalm 15 verse 4, he gives the answer. He says this, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? Meaning, God, who's the person who dwells and walks with you? Who's the person who walks in your presence with you? Well, this is one of the answers that he gives in the psalm. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. You are a man, you are a woman of God here today. Hey, keep your commitments. Fulfill your promises, even if it hurts. Hey, keep your word, even if it hurts. Hey, guard your convictions, even if it costs you. Hey, keep being generous with your time and talents and resources, even if it costs you. Be ready to be faithful, especially when it's not widely accepted and feels old-fashioned. Hey, keep being faithful. Keep being faithful when it's not reflective of our changing times in this changing world of do whatever you feel and do whatever you want. No, be faithful. Be faithful with all that God has entrusted to you in this ever-changing world, even when it hurts and even if it costs you. Because in doing so, you'll become the kind of person that this world finds rare, a faithful man of God or a faithful woman of God. But more than that, a person that God can trust. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.